The Old Gold Club with Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. Hello there, welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows, he's Chris Iwalumo. Morning. You right. Yeah, very good. Very um, good. We will get into one or two things in just a second. Our guest this week is an absolute bona fide legend, and he's also absolutely put us to shame with how he has turned up dressed today as well, Mr. Jeff Barber. Although I'm a little bit upset that there's kind of, I expected big curly hair and a big moustache. That's what I thought was going to be coming in, Jeff. Yeah, um, obviously... uh, with age, it uh, disappears like everything else. Um, but um, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of people now know that I was in the police force, and um, it was obviously short hair in the police force. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was always being told to get my hair cut at, at the barber, so it, it disappeared gradually. But you had one of those kind of classic, classic footballers' perms. Didn't you? <laughs> well, to be fair, everybody says it was a perk, but uh, natural. It was, it was natural. Yeah, it was natural. Fantastic. It was natural. Yeah. I used to eat a lot of crusts. <laughs> <laughs> My mum always used to say, eat your crusts, you make your hair curly. Because, <laughs> I mean, we've talked a lot of on this programme, kind of, of um, football fashion, uh, I guess, and the 70s is a classic era. Yeah. Mr McGarry always used to say, uh, if you used, if you get your hair cut, you'd be two yards faster. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but uh, you were pretty good though, because the one thing I really need to ask you about, because we've talked uh, right at the start of the podcast, Lubes, we used to talk about nicknames. And right. Jeff has one of the greatest nicknames that was given to you by the fans, Zico. Zico, yeah, yeah. For a fullback. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You've got to have been good. You're going to ask me where it came from. Uh, well, basically, I mean, it wasn't until later on. Um, but uh, I remember we played Burnley away, uh, it was probably about 1983. And um, we had a free kick at about 20 yards outside the box. And uh, we honestly, we had been practising the free kicks. Um and it was uh, it was just one of them that uh, it happened to go over the wall into the top corner of the net, like you know. And, and ever since then, that's what they c- caught me like, you know. So uh, I'm proud to be called it. To be fair, yeah, you like that because yeah. I've been called a few names. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting. Yeah, you said I was surprised when you said that you actually went. Obviously, before we came on here uh, at 32, you went and joined the police. Still a lot of football left in you. PC yeah, Zico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 32 years of age. Um, Was that a hard decision then? Obviously, to... Yes. Um, it was a hard decision, but, I mean, when I left in sort of 1986, the club and the ground wasn't in best con- con- condition, basically. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it was just something that um, I had to think of. Um, obviously, uh, I'd got a family at, at, uh, at that um, stage, so... Um, it was a, it was a decision. It was a big wrench because um, I love football, um, but we all get older and time moves on, so you have to do something else. But this is something we were talking about with Robbie Dennison a few weeks ago because he kind of retired at a similar age to you, and it's whether kind of nowadays players seem to go on an awful lot longer, whereas maybe in that time, yes. Um, I was pretty lucky, uh, to be fair, with injuries. Um, uh, no serious injuries. A um, few problems with my knee, but um, I was still able to go and um, play football, especially with the police. So um, it, it was just a decision that had to be made, and um, the club wasn't it wasn't going anywhere at the time, and uh, I just felt that um, it was time for me to sort of another part of my career to be fair yeah it was just one of those things was there a part of you that kind of felt like I mean I know you had a little spell at Burnley but you didn't really want to play for anyone else no um, it was um, it was a shock when um, I was asked to go or I was only on a month uh, a month loan to Burnley but when I went up there and um, it was a rash decision on my part um, I, I should have basically just gone up there for a month and seen what it was like but um, uh, things weren't too good at, at Wolves at the time and it was it was something that I, I, I made a decision which 
I did regret. Um, I had 10 months at Burnley, which wasn't the best part of my career, although I played with some good players up there. Um, and I, I enjoyed my time, but the team, they were struggling as well. So, um, Can I ask you then, sorry, what you said, it was a, a kind of rash decision and you, you were kind of probably stubborn in your ways and you, you made that month longer. Why? What, what, what was the relationship that you had then with the... Right. Well, Mr Doherty was the manager at yep. the time and um, I don't think we saw eye to eye. And um, it was just one of those things that he he called me in one morning and just said, um, Burnley, want you on a month's trial. If I was you, I'd go and get up there. And it was the way things were said and I thought... I think he's trying to say something to me, you know, and um, perhaps I, just, I should have just gone up there, took a step back and had a month up there, come back to Wolves and things may have changed. Yeah. I don't know, but um, I made that rash decision um, and I went up there, but I was luckily, I got back down here in the end. We'll uh, get a bit more into that in detail when we get into the show. Um People always send us random questions for this part of the podcast, Jeff. And there's been a couple that have come in for you. Uh, well, this is more of a comment, I guess, really. Stu Parry says, The one abiding memory of the 70s is Zico lacing penalties into the North Bank goal. Because you got into penalties quite late, though, didn't you? I did, yes. It was um, under Mr. Barnwell, John Barnwell. And I think the first penalty I ever took was, um, I think we played Stoke. And it happened to be on the television, and we we had been practicing penalties. But I, uh, um, my all I saw was the middle of the goal, and just hit it as hard as I could, <laughs> <laughs> keep it low. No, no, no. And it, it worked because the goalkeepers have got to make a decision whether they dive to the right or the left. If they stay standing still, well, that's pot luck basically. But um, so I, I took them. Um, to be fair, I don't really know how many I took, but there was about six or seven that uh, I scored, and uh, but I only missed one. And I think it's uh, they're still looking for it in the Aston <laughs> Car Park. <laughs> but that this was against Tottenham. It's a fascinating thing, you know, because we were talking about this with Andy Thompson because he yeah. took an awful lot of yes. penalties yeah. for Wolves, and it's kind of you know in the teams that you played in, there's a lot of kind of big name strikers and forwards that probably would have been yeah, putting yeah. themselves down for it, the same as him, and yet. You got the gig. Yeah, it was just, um, I think um, it was if you felt comfortable on the time, at the, you know, during the match. If you felt comfortable, then go up and take it. And, you know, I mean, if you were having a bad time, then obviously you you, you wouldn't put your, your hand up, basically. But, um, no, um, you know, I, uh, I think I stuck about six or seven away. I remember one against Liverpool. I think it was the first game of the Cannon League. And we drew one each, and I think it was in the first minute. Um, Alan Kennedy brought uh, Andy Gray down, and uh, Bruce Grobler was in goal. And you know he does the famous yeah, uh, shake, legs, and his yeah. legs going to jelly. And I thought, oh God, what's this guy doing here? But uh, I just beat him for pace. I think. Yes. <laughs> Um, we also get silly questions in. Uh, Andy Smith, um, referencing something we talked about with Andy Thompson. I've said to Tomo a lot on commentary that um, I want him to bring back his moustache. Um, and we said on the podcast last week that if Wolves get into Europe, Tomo has to bring back the moustache. And Andy would like to know if you will join forces in this bet. And if Wolves get into Europe, will you, Jeff Palmer... Bring back your famous. Of course moustache. I will. Yes. <laughs> yes of course I will. Yeah. That's an easy question, isn't it? That. <laughs> and the big curly hair. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have some transplants, I think, for that. Get some. Get some big meaty sideburns. <laughs> yeah. Some big mutton yeah. chops. That'll yeah. go nicely with it. Um, Mark Roberts, this is for both of you. At which stadium did you find the atmosphere electric, and which one was the most sterile? Looms. <laughs> I guess the best stadium for atmosphere and the worst stadium for atmosphere during your career. Hmm. I'm going to come to you with this one as well, Jeff, in a minute. Yeah, I'm thinking, <clears throat> one of, to be fair, funny, one of the, one of the, 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 the stadiums I, I love to play in was, was Villa Park. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're gonna boo, boo me or whatever. Yeah, but controversial. Yeah, but I did enjoy. I enjoyed playing there. I think just the the stadium itself, the the, the pitch. Uh, I, I, like I got I got promoted twice at the Millennium, and I thought that was for me for Ray Brighton and, and Stoke. 
uh, it was was excellent there. And obviously Hamden, you know, I've got my, my first start against uh, for Scotland against Argentina. I got goosebumps and actually started welling up at the national anthem. And it's, there's there's nothing that can quite com- compare to that in a different kind of sense. But uh, yeah, I've got to say Hamden. What was the worst? Uh, well, I've been on loan to a few clubs. I think my first loan was was up at York, and that was a bit of a, a bit of a kind of a funny, different kind of atmosphere. Team weren't doing great, bit negative, you know. And you grew up there as a young lad. That kind of definitely opened opened my eyes to that kind of side of things. Football to me, I just love playing football. You go and play, but then all of a sudden, every mistake you're getting, and you could hear it as well. The individual abuse, you know, it was uh, it was a hard one to take. But I guess it makes you who you are. Yeah. Jeff, what do you think? Football league ground, um, Anfield. Yeah, the atmosphere there is—it's um, just something different there. But obviously, um, the atmosphere at Wembley was fantastic when I played there. Um, but football league ground, I would say Anfield has got to be—that um, is because um, it's like the proper terracing. Oh yeah, the cop. I in mean, those days. Um, I mean, when the cops um, when they're shouting, you know, it's. You can and people say you, you you can't hear the crowd, but you can. You can hear the crowd, and um, especially when they're on the attack, and you know it's uh, backs to the wall job, and you can get the cop going. It's uh, it's an experience. That's you know when you're lining up in that because at that point as well, like Liverpool absolutely flying through most of the seventies and stuff. When you're there, you know the um, this is Anfield yes. sign as you go out and stuff. Because you're not a Liverpool fan, you're a no, Wolves no. fan. Yeah, yeah. But when you're there, does it still have like an impact? You see, yeah, as you, I mean, you, you go out together and everybody, all the Liverpool team, just put their hand up and touch it, the, you know, the picture there. The, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's when you walk out. I mean, you are close to the fans there. To be fair, uh, um, and. Um, and just as you get there, you see this big, wide-open space with all these fans there, and it's um, it is an experience that you never forget, never. No. But Wembley, obviously, is uh, yeah. When you're in that tunnel uh, and you can hear the thousands and thousands of supporters out there, and then you walk out there, and it's God. And the long walk. Oh yeah, because obviously in those days you came from behind the goal. Yeah. Yeah. After I see you wore you wore the the captain's armband as well, and you, like you've got a, you've got yeah. a presence around you even here at the table. Yeah. But there were some big characters in that dressing room. So how how difficult or how comfortable were you in that position? It, it, it wasn't difficult at all, Chris. To be fair, I mean um, when I was captain, Andy Gray was playing for us. Yeah, Hibby, John Richards, and I mean I I'd played with Kenny and John for 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 years, and um, so it, it it wasn't something that um, I think it helped me. As a person and as a player, um, the responsibility that knowing that um, you know you've got to perform to a certain level, or, uh, so that other players can look up to you. Um, so, it, but when I played, I mean, there was four or five captains. To be fair, yeah. I mean, you, you know, Andy Gray. I mean, what yeah. a presence he was. Yeah. You know, um, he be and uh, John to a certain extent but he he wasn't so verbal on the pitch you know John but um, no I, I think it helped me as a player to be fair well you mentioned John Richards um, we are doing a live show at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre Friday 7th of June tickets are available grandtheatre.co.uk Old Gold Club Live you'll be invited Jeff fine thank you as, <laughs> fine as, um, as being on the programme all the alumni hopefully a lot of the alumni will be coming and John Richards is going to be on stage with us the King is going to be there with us um, he is kind of when he came in he was fascinating to me because kind of my dad and my uncle like would absolutely die but to meet you as well, but also to meet the king for yeah. obvious reasons for the goals he scored and stuff. But like so modest when he came in, I thought. Yeah, John, he's a gentleman, um, but he still had that little of a, I think, nasty streak. You know, as Chris would know, as a striker, yeah. um, you had to have a little bit of a nasty streak in you. I mean, um, I think he got sent off one game down here against Aston Villa. I can't remember the name of the big centre half who he uh, he gave him a bit of a, an elbow, you know. But um, he took a lot of stick, John. Um, but he wasn't afraid to give it back. Yeah. No, but um, no. He, as, as I say, he's a gentleman. 
See, we were having gentlemen. this conversation because Looms thinks that defenders are weird because you support each other, whereas strikers want to get in the team ahead of each other. I think you, you, everyone wants to play, but I just the I think the relationship between the, like you don't really see many strikers being close. You know, they, they go out there no, as teammates, yes, whereas yeah. defenders they'll, they'll pat right do this and they'll be yes. helping each other and communicating. Even if yes. you're even if you're not playing, no. they'll be talking to each other. Right, you made this do this better. This keep, yes, strikers. It's about yeah, you score a goal. Yeah. That's it. You want to, you want to, you want to be in the one. Even I've played, yeah. I've scored, and the other striker. But yeah, you've won the game, yeah. but he's not scored. He doesn't feel part of it, and that's but, how you feel. Yeah, but don't you have to be like there's a striker? You, have, you have to be to. selfish. This is what I said because I had yeah. the chat with, with Silvan. He disagreed right right to my face. Yeah. We never spoke for six weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? We never spoke for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but that's that's what made him who yeah. who he is. Yeah. And yeah. I think, and I've always said it in a positive, not not in a negative. That's what made him who he was. You yeah. Know, so yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you have to you have to have a selfish streak as a striker, especially. In the penalty area, I mean, if you've got a chance of scoring, you ain't going to pass, are you, to be fair? I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. It's, uh, that That's the way you have to be, but I mean, it's... Uh, um, I don't think John was selfish. I mean, I mean, as you know, when we played, I mean, he played alongside the Doog, and um, the system that we played, I mean, when you got Waggy on the wing, he he's going to knock it to the far post, Doog's going to knock it down, and John's going to knock it in the back of the net. You know, that's that's... I know it's it's yeah. simple as it sounds, but it wasn't to be fair. But but as a striker, you've got to have a knack of to score goals. I don't think that you can be taught what positions to get yourself in. I think it's a natural thing that comes to you yeah. as a striker. Yeah. You know, sometimes you think, but the hell, John, how did you do that? You know, and you'll say to me, well, I just get there. Don't tell me how. Yeah, just, I, I just get there, you yeah, know. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just a natural instinct of the strikers, good strikers, when they score goals. Well, John Richards is going to be a part of Old Gold Club Live at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre Friday, 7th of June. Get your tickets at grandtheatre.co.uk. Jeff's going to come as well. He's already said that on the podcast, so he can't take it back now because it's been recorded and we're we'll <laughs> So oh, we'll hold you to it. Um, there's going to be lots of other people there as well. It's going to be a really fun night. Make sure you get your tickets. Plenty more to come from Zico, Jeff Palmer on the Old Gold Club. Old Gold Club is going live for one night only at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre. Join us on Friday, June 7th for a summer spectacular with a host of special guests and big surprises. Get your tickets grandtheatre.co.uk Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, Chris Awellamo, our guest this week is eighth on the all-time appearance list, putting on the old gold 496 times across a 16-year period, twice a League Cup winner, brilliantly described in one of my Wolves history books as an uncompromising fullback. Welcome to the Old Gold Club, Jeff Zico Palmer. <laughs> Pleasure. I, I love that uncompromising. <laughs> is that a good description? Um, uh, it, I don't know what it, it can mean. A few <laughs> things that can. <laughs> um, yeah, uncompromising. Yeah, um, I uh, I wasn't afraid of uh, of anybody. To be fair, and if the ball was there to be won, it was. You know, it's uh, it had to be won. But uh, uncompromising. Uh, I think that's a little bit. Uh, Unkind. Well, Tony Matthews, the complete record of Wolves, it says, a sterling performer, full of energy and commitment. He was a strong kicker and was able to contain the trickiest of wingers. That's a bit better, isn't that's, it? That's better, yeah. Um, it um, puts me in a better light, I think, that one does, <laughs> yes. But strong, but also adept at what you needed to do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, when I uh, obviously when I first got in the team, and uh, Mister McGarry gave me my chance, um, he always used to say to me uh, uh, to start with, "You're a defender, and that's what I want you to do—to defend." Um, so basically, uh, I had to work on my skills as a defender, uh, but also um, after you know. We used to have to get to support the forwards, get down the line. So basically, um, it was it was something that um, I had to work on. Um, I think most of the players had to work on their skills. Um, so basically, um, 
to start with, you defend, and then anything after uh, was a bonus, basically. Right, local local boy, supports the club. He probably followed them and watched them all through the years before the opportunity came. I'm asking you this: like, how much pressure was that for you to to say yes? I'm gonna I'm gonna join Wolves because I'm I'm a Celtic fan. John Barnes brought me into Celtic. I was there on trial, and it was too much for me. Like, they brought me from Denmark, and then Stoke brought me. So. And I felt that that was too much. I went and followed Celtic all over the all over the country, but you had the opportunity. You took the opportunity, but how much pressure was that on you? Um, you're right. I was. Um, I mean, I was born in Cannock, which is only about 12, 12 mile away. Um, my father supported Wolves, and I supported Wolves as a kid. So I mean, it was it was something that um, I wanted from the start. I wanted to be a professional footballer, and basically, I wanted to play for for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, and when the opportunity came, it was um, a proud moment, um, to be fair, to, to join such a, a fantastic football club. Um, pressure, um, I think there's always pressure that you, you, the pressure is once you're here at the football club, is to then move on from an apprentice to a professional and then get in the first team. So there is a lot of pressure, but as a local lad, um, yeah, I suppose, but uh, it was a proud moment that um, for a local lad to sort of be given his chance to play at Wolverhampton. Yeah. Did you know how good you were? You know, like like he said there, he says, "I wanted, I, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I wanted to play for Wolves. That dream came true." So when you're there, do you actually know like, I've, I'm good enough to be here? Did you feel? Of course, you're always learning. We're always learning, even towards the end of our career. But did you feel I'm, I, I can make an impact here from from the get go? Yeah, I mean, from, from when I joined Wolves, um, obviously um, there are footballers, foot players here who were um, fantastic players. Yeah. And uh, I looked up to uh, a lot of the players that were here, like Frank Monroe, John McCall, Derek Parkin, Mike Bailey, The Duke, Johnny Richards. And I think it was one of those things that you see how they train, you see, you see how professional they are, and that's how you have to be. And I, I realised that if I was to get in the first team, I had to be like those players. Um, I studied Derek Parkin, um, uh, how, how he played, how he um, uh, how he trained, um, and it was it was something that it was hard. It was a hard thing to do, but um, you have to give up a few things. Um, to make it as, as a professional football, and I was prepared to do that. That's all I wanted to do was to play football, and at a bonus to play for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, it's that element of the. We've just been talking on the podcast about the fact that strikers don't necessarily get on with strikers, which has been a recurring theme on this podcast. But you, as a group, as a defence, I was telling Looms when we we're on the way in that, you know, that Palmer, Monroe, Parkin. McCallyog, all these McCall, mm. such a strong group that stuck together for a long time. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, like, like Lofty was in goal. It was Parks, Palmer, Parking, and, and I think we must have played. I'm not sure what the history books might say, but we must have played about forty, fifty games together. You know, it, without um, nobody else taking our place. You know, so I mean, it was. Um, it was. We, we, I, I played. I was, I was very fortunate to play with some good players, some fantastic players. I mean, um, Frank Monroe was a great help to me. I mean, um, he used to have me on a piece of string um, because um, he used to tell me where to go, what position to be in when the ball's on the other side of the of the pitch. He'd want me round covering, you know, when it wasn't. It's push me towards the winger and basically all I just listened to Frank it was fantastic um, and then you got Squeak on the other side uh, you know um, who uh, I mean he got waggy playing with him like you know so it was um, it, it was made easier I mean Mike Bailey was a captain um, a fantastic captain um, a true leader of the football team at the time and we got John and um, Doug up front Hibby and Alan Sunderland was playing in the early days, Steve Daly. So it, it was it was quite easy, to be fair. As long as you did what the manager wanted you to do, then he'd be happy. Um, I mean, as you know, uh, as a football team in those days, 
we we played a, a bit more direct football uh, because we'd got players like Derek Dugan up front. You got Waggy Wide, John Richards, um, and Mr. McGarry always used to say to me, "Your first ball that you see is the best ball that you yeah. see." Um, and sometimes it might be up to a striker, it might be wide to Hibby, or if Mick Bailey sometimes comes short for it, you gave it him, you know, and and. It was it was one of those things. Um, I mean, sometimes he, he used to tell Mick Bailey off for coming back for the ball because he used to say, "Well, I've got Frank Monroe who can do that. So what do you need to come back for?" So it, it was it was a mixture. But they always used to say that uh, the first ball you see is the best ball, and uh, to be playing with some fantastic players was um, it made it a little bit easier for me. You've jumped ahead there from when you were playing, so you, you get your professional contract on your 17th birthday. In that period of time, uh, it's not, what, was it two up two years until you probably make your first league full yeah. debut against Birmingham? So you're talking about when you're playing, that they made it easy for you, they're talking, communicating, but how much did you improve in that period of time that you knew that you were ready to be, be, yeah. to be thrown in? Right. I, as, a, as you say, I was 17, I was an apprentice, and I had 12 months here as an apprentice. Um, Steve Daly was an apprentice with me Barry Powell, Peter Easter, Alan Sunderland and we all, all used to play together and, and, and to be fair we all stuck together as a team um, and it was, it was basically when you played in the reserves against the first team you realised how good you had to be to make that step up um, and then it was down to you to play in the youth team you know, you, you know, you work in the ranks, youth team, and then you played in the reserves. Once you get in the reserves, you think, right, well, I'm only one step away now. So you have to continue to work on your game, which, I mean, we did here. I mean, we used to train uh, mornings and afternoons with the, the apprentices. Um, and then when you make the step up to play in, in the reserves, obviously you're playing with... First teamers who aren't in the team are maybe injured or yep. uh, with a form they've lost, um, and then it, it's just something that you feel that right. I've got to you know I've got to grab this and and I, I want to be into the first team. You know I'm going to put pressure under Jerry Taylor or Bernard Shaw. You know I want the reserve team manager to say, well look, I think he's ready for the first team. You know so it was just um, you work hard at your game. Um, and I must, you know, I'm not sounding big Eddie when I say this. I did work hard at my game. Um, you had to here because if you didn't, you know, the door was there. You'd be out of it. So, um, but um, it was just something that I just wanted to play for Wolves, and I was nearly there. I could grab it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was up to me, yeah. nobody else. So was it? So it wasn't a day-to-day thing, as in training. You never, obviously, you get brought in and train with the first team as well. But it was more a platform, the reserve game when you played against the first team or the youth team games. Yeah. So, but surely with the talent like even Daly yourself, did you train a lot with the first team as well, and then you're actually seeing how they go about it, or was that kept quite quite separate? No, it, it, I mean. It, it, the, the first team, they'd probably be about 14 or 15. So you'd have the first team that played, say, on a Saturday and, and a few of the senior pros who were in the reserves. But then you'd train with the apprentices or, or the uh, right, okay. the professionals. And you then play against the first team. And, and, you know, you think to yourself, well, this is what I want. That I want to be on that side. Yeah. That's, what, that's what my goal is. And um, so it... it, it it didn't come, um, I mean, it, it wasn't sort of uh, come overnight. I mean, it was, uh, you, you, I had to work hard at it. But when you're given a chance, you have to, you know, you and have you to then. take it. That's when the pressure's on you then. Well, this is the thing, because when you did get your chance, and you mentioned Jerry Taylor, and I was going to ask you kind of how he felt, because he's in the team, and all of a sudden you get in, and I think but you might have come out for one or two games, and then all of a sudden, bam, yeah. At 19, that spot is yours, and you do not relinquish that. Yeah, I always remember um, the uh, the first League Cup game, we played Halifax away at the Shea, and um, we played them on a Tuesday, and Mr McGarry called me in on the Monday, and he said, um, I'm going to play you tomorrow night. He says, but I've had bad reports off the reserve team manager. I thought, oh, 
I thought I'd been doing quite well. But he said, but I'm going to stick to my guns, I'm going to play you tomorrow. Which, to be fair, was something that, OK, you think, you've got 24 hours then to start thinking, oh, God, I'm in yeah. the first team now. Um, <clears throat> but I was glad that he did it um, because it gave me a bit of time to think about the match and to uh, assess what you know what it what the match is all about you know it's the first team you're playing with first team players and as I say you know when you play with Frank he made it so easy for me when I first started can I ask then because you just said about McGarry there what he said to you I've heard bad reports now you know that you've been playing well now again that's I think that's good good man management as well yeah Keep yourself on. Keep your keep your feet on the floor. I know you're doing well for the for the reserves and the, but now I'm going to throw this to you. Give you 24 hours. Get your head round it. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, I'm I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm doing well. But you know that you have to raise it again. Yeah. What was your relationship with <clears throat> McGarry like? Um, you're smiling at it me. It was a bit. It was a bit <laughs> frosty, to be fair, because. Um, Mr. McGarry was he was a disciplinarian, and um, if you didn't do what he said then you, you, you wouldn't be playing in the first team. Um, so basically, um, you ha- I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put it simple, but it, what it is is that, like I said to you before, uh, the first ball that you see is the best ball, and this is what I want you to do. Anything that you, besides that, it'd be on you, yeah. you know. And um, I think... Um, some of the youngsters, he, he really got on their backs. Um, why I don't know. Um, perhaps because um, he felt that he could. Sometimes he ruled by fear. Um, you think to yourself, "Oh God, I can't do that." You know, he, going at half time, McGarry's going to have a his red head on. You know, he's yeah. going to be ranting yeah. and raving at you. So, um, but um, it was. I found it. it found it very strange that, that um, the reserve team manager had said this, you know, because I thought I had been playing quite well, you know. Well, you don't know he did see it. You well, no, <laughs> no. You know, I, I understand what you're saying now, but I think I think because of what he said to me, my relationship with the reserve team manager was a bit frosty then because I thought, oh, you've gone in there. And I thought you'd be saying, well done, Jeff. Yeah. But as you say, McGarry might have just said that just to, to jeer me up, like, you know, so... Uh, it's one of those things. I think McGarry's put you in there. You've he sees the potential. You've reached that potential. You're hitting those levels, and you say about how he kind of probably he's very disciplinarian and be fear. But the young boys, a good group as well. If they're not reaching the potential, he's got to he's got to do something. Yeah. Whereas maybe so with you, he kept saying, oh, "This is what I want." You were doing it. Mm. You delivered it. That's mm. why. He wasn't on your back, yeah. but if he's saying the same to someone else and they're not, then he has to mm. consistently yeah. do it. So it's as that's good man management again. You know, I think we've had a lot of a lot of the guests and they've had yeah Kenny Hibbert uh, and John Richards and I guess Steve Daly and Steve Kinden maybe with the Steves for slightly different reasons for being mm. left out of big games and whatnot. Yeah. But all of them were kind of <clears throat> suggested that maybe especially towards the younger players didn't really get Bill mm. McGarry. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean. I have to hold my hand up. Mr. McGarry gave me my chance, so uh, I really thank him for that. Um, and also, he was the manager of a football club that uh, was doing quite well at the time. So, um, I mean, I had to thank him for that. Um, but it was just sometimes that you felt that he was on your back all the time, and and you thought, well, you ain't going to get the best out of players if you're on their back all the time. You know, it's. Um, it, it, it was strange. I mean, you know. I mean, to be fair, he knew the game inside out. Mr. McGarry did. I mean, with Sammy there as well, he knew. He knew what he was on about, and basically, you know, he he always used to say that football's an easy game, but it's made it's made complicated by footballers. You know? <laughs> true. So it's. Um, but no, it's. Um, he gave me my start, so I was grateful. And um, I remember talking, uh, it was about two months ago, I think we had a dinner, I was talking to Bernard Shaw. Yeah. And he said, um, he says, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, he said, um, he said, but I got, uh, he says, um, Mr. McGarry called me into his office one day and he said, uh, Bernard, he said, um, I'm going to let you go. And Bernard said, let me go. He says, yeah. 
He says, I've got a, I've got a young, a young fullback. He says, I think he's good enough to take your place. Now, obviously, he was on about me, but I'd, I'd never heard this story. You know, McGarry had never said anything to me. Yeah. Or, you know, um, so it, it was something that. 30, 40 years later, you think, well, if I'd have known then, like, you know, it's, um, but, um, it, I mean, you know, I used to get on well with all the players, you know, here, um, Bernard, I mean, uh, Jerry Taylor as well, you know, so, I mean, it was, um, as I said before, um, they all helped me along the way, and I'm sure Steve Daly might say the same thing, Alan Sunderland, Barry Powell, all the senior players, um, you know, you went out there on a Saturday afternoon, you were all together, you know, there was no sort of little clicks here and there. It was just... So you're 19, you get into the first team of the team you've supported since you were a boy, and within a couple of months, you were at Wembley winning the League Cup. Yes. That's e- it's um, easy life, isn't it? It was just... It was Roy the Rover stuff, wasn't it, basically? Um I mean, I, I couldn't... Um, I mean, I'd got in the team and then I'd been left out for a couple of games, but I think it was Mr McGarry again. You know, he thinks, right, well, I'll take him out and uh, give him a rest, see what his reaction is, you know. Did he, get, a, did he get a reaction? Oh, he got a reaction, yeah, because <laughs> th- there's only one place I wanted to be on a Saturday afternoon, and that was out here with the first team. You know, I didn't want the reserves at Preston or something like that. Um, and I missed it. And I think it was just that G up that, you know, he thinks, well, I'm good enough to play in the first team, but he's just going to give you a rest and, you know. But And it worked. He, he did get a reaction. Obviously, then I went through the season and then obviously we won the League Cup. And fortunately, I was a, I was... Selected for the under twenty three, under twenty under twenty three. So I'd I'd got a couple of games and um, playing with those, and I remember uh, we played uh, we played Wales and John Richards played with me at the time down at Bristol City's ground, and Mister um, McGarry had gone down and watched the match, and he brought us back, and. Um, on the Wednesday evening, he dropped us at the ground and he, he just said to me, he said, oh, by the way, he says, I, I want you in tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. And I thought, oh, I usually get a day off after playing, like, you know. <laughs> so I went in and um, Sammy Chung was in and he said, um, you don't need to train, but Mr McGarry wants you in his office. And, I said, and if you went into McGarry's office, mate, it was only for one thing. It was a, <laughs> it was a telling off, basically. <laughs> and I went in and he just said to me, he says, um, he says, I've had you in. He says, we've got Everton on Saturday. Um, get your head right. You've been with the big boys, all the uh, Tottenham players and all these. And he says, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers is your club. Everton on Saturday. Get your head right. Now get home. And I, I'd only been in there 15 minutes, and I thought, I could, he could have said that, you know, when, <laughs> tomorrow, like, you know. Can I ask you then, how did you take that then? Did you take that then, oh, he's, he's on my back, he's, why is he always... Because I take that as that he, he knew what he had in you. He knew how good you were. He just wanted to make sure that you got there. Yeah. You know, I, when I played in Germany, Dieter Hacken said to me, when I stopped talking to you, then that relationship's dead. Yeah. If you're having a, a conversation with the manager all the time, yeah. then it's there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he he knew what he had in you. Yeah. And that's what I mean. He thought, get your head right, go, you're going to be playing against Everton. I, see, I only see positives and, 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 and yeah. everyone that said a, a comment about him, yeah. I'm just I'm thinking that is man management. That's yeah, yeah. good man. Because yeah. everyone, you've got to manage everyone differently, haven't you? Of course you have, yeah. Yes, I mean, um, to be fair, um, it was, it was, it, 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 it was the man management side. Um, he um, oh, and as I was just walking out, to be fair, uh, the door. He did say to me, "Oh, and uh, well done last night." It's probably only one uh, you could say on on one hand the, the amount of comments yeah. that he said to you positively. Yeah. But as I walked through the door, I, I did say to myself, "Well, he's obviously had you in." You, you know, we've got an important league game on Saturday. You are playing. Get your head right now. But it was just when he when he says, "Oh, you, you're not with the big boys now." Like you know, with there was Trevor Francis played. You know, and there was a couple of West Ham lads playing. And I think to myself, "Oh, they've obviously been talking. Oh, how much do you earn and all this? Like you know, this is Wolverhampton Wanderers. You've got Everton on Saturday. Yeah. So I did take a positive out of it. Um, Jeff, I want to fast forward a little bit. Um, to the 80s because it's a period that we've 
not talked an awful lot about and you obviously will have been affected by this more than many because of your associations with the club and your fan support of the club as well. How did you feel when things started to go wrong? Um, to be fair, as a player, you, you tried to alienate yourself from what was going on off the pitch because we couldn't do anything about that. That was up to other people. Um, but we could have an effect on the pitch. Um, and I think when um, I think when Mr. Barnwell left, and then we, the team started to slide, um, we went down into the first division. Um, I think Graham Hawkins took over. Um, there was a new regime. Doug and his um, his people were in, and there was a lot of young players. I think it made me a, a better person uh, because. You then had to help the young lads. You know, you, the experience that I'd got, yeah. you'd got to pass it to the young kids because you have to start somewhere and they need help. Um, we managed to get up that year with Graham Hawkins. I think we finished second to QPR. Yeah. But we still had a nucleus. Like John was there. Uh, Andy Gray was there. Uh, Hibby, Willie Carr. So, I mean, we did have some senior pros who were good players. Um, but after that... Um, we went into the first division, then we got relegated straight away. Um, the club started to go down in, um, i.e., the ground. Yeah. Um, but as I say, it was, it was one of those things that you tried to forget what going on off the pitch. You know, it was on the pitch where we could do something, and it didn't work, um, and it got worse. To be fair. I'm just fascinated by the mindset, though, because you, you know, you love this football club. It's and it, but it's not the football club that you joined. Things, no. things are just falling away. And Kenny Hibbert said to us that kind of one of the worst things for him was kind of when after he'd left, and he felt that maybe one or two of that group had stayed too long. That when he came back, and you see it with you know falling apart and. Mm attendances in the low thousands and I just thought how worse that must have been for you given your love for this place yeah um, to see um, well it's the um, Waterloo Road stand I mean that was shut the North Bank you got um, the Steve Ball stand was open and parts of the South Bank but the other and there was I mean you used to go out there and um, we'd be playing you know no disrespect to Scunthorpe or teams like that but it was hard it was hard it was really hard I mean you know I mean you used to have to take your training kit home wash it yourself and you know it was just the club had just gone then it was just disastrous um, which was a shame um, and you think to yourself well where's the club going to go from here you know I mean hopefully we're going to go back to where they are now but you didn't know that at the time um I had a week with uh, Graham Turner um, before I left to, to join the police. And um, obviously we all know what happened before uh, after that. But um, just before that, Brian Little was manager. Um, and um, we had players there who, um, no disrespect to other players, but they weren't as good enough as what I'd already played with, you know. Um, but that's the way the club was going at the time. You said there that you, you kind of ignored everything, uh, the politics, the outside, and you, you thought about what you can go and affect. So when you cross that white line, but then you say, when you look around and you know the players aren't good enough and you're on that slide, that you can't affect it. You know, I think uh, you look at a manager and a coach, when they when they give all the players the information and then they cross the line, it's up to the players then. Mm. You know, it's how how frustrating must that have been? Because that that's yeah. a club that you love. You're on the pitch. That's your that's your domain. Yeah, that's where you control. But you've not been given the right tools or the. That no, that's difficult. right. Yeah, I mean that that was frustrating. And at the end, I mean, we couldn't do anything because we weren't good enough at the time. The, the players that were down here weren't good enough to for, to play for the Wolves. We weren't good enough to stay in the third division. You know, that's why we went to the fourth division. Um, but somehow something had got to happen and, and I think to be fair it had to happen off the field first you know it, it, 
it had to get right off the field first. Once you got that right, then maybe you could do something about getting players back, which fortunately for Wolves did happen. Um, you know, when Mr. Graham Turner came in, and the rest history with what he did. You know, so and the club. Well, look where we are now. Who would have thought that? How hard was it at that time being told to to go as well or to move on for that yeah, spell? That was that was a low part of my career um, because we've already touched on. I mean, the only team I ever wanted to play for was the Wolves. I was a local lad. I'd been here fifteen years, and as they be said I think there may have been a time when sort of 29, 30 years of age it may have been time to, to move on Derek Parkin went to Stoke you know George Berry went up to Stoke they did get moves you know and perhaps it was time that the older players did move on a bit and you know give the youngsters a, a bit of a chance but you know it didn't happen um, and that's why it stayed to be fair, and um, fortunately, um, it did get better in the end. There's a weird kind of bookend to your Wolves career, isn't there? The fact that you start off as part of a League Cup winning team and you finish as part of that group that ends up going to the fourth division. Yeah. I think only two players in the whole history of the club is there that have gone, played in all four divisions. I think it's me and Remember little Paul Doherty? Yeah. I believe so. I mean, you'll have to look up in your history books. <laughs> um, so I have seen the, the highs and the lows. Um, but um, I've had more good times here than bad times. I really have had more. T- you know, I met some fantastic blokes, fantastic players. Um, and, you know, hopefully I, I'm part of a football team that we did have a little success. You know, I mean... Uh, in the 70s um, I've played with some good players Emily Hughes was a fantastic captain I mean what a story that is I mean the only thing he'd never won at Liverpool and he comes down to Molyneux and wins the League Cup you know it's um, it's um, fantastic really We're going to get into some of the kind of players you played with and whatnot on our podcast extra which is available to download from all the usual places just before we finish on our Facebook show 16 years effectively at one football club that'll never happen again will it I wouldn't have thought so these days um, I think players seem to move on uh, willy nilly um, a little bit of I don't know I, I think I think sometimes it yeah. loyalty seems to have gone out of the game a little bit um, I mean I know that uh, when I played, players used to stay for four and five years, you know. But I think that's due to the game. I think the game has changed, so players are allowed to move now. Um, But, um, I mean, I I have no qualms with that. Um, You just think that sometimes that I feel that once some players get out of uh, not in the team, the first thing they want to do is move on instead of, knuckling down and saying to themselves well I am going to get my place back in that team and I'm going to show him who's dropped me you know that I am good enough and I think sometimes it's a these days it's a little bit easier to um, what should I say I mean in my day we never used to have agents so it would be the first thing to say is, oh, I'm not in the team is anybody else looking for a, a midfield or something like that you know but um I mean, when I played, it was the contract was there for you. If it was five years, Mr. McGarry would say, "Well, there's there. That's what you're getting. You ain't getting any more. Yeah. Um, if you don't want it, well, you know the door's there, and you just signed it basically." But um, I think all players. When I played, there was a lot more loyalty. Not as much now. I don't think. Yeah. You keep looking at Chris. Well, no, no, eating th- clubs I had to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of them I, I, what you're saying there I think uh, when I wasn't playing uh, and like you knew that the chance was the club, I think the loyalty thing goes both ways Yes, I think the, 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 the club they look to get the money they get moved you on the squads I think that even managers probably stayed in the position the life expectancy of a yes. manager back then I think it's yeah. 10 months in the championship now you yes. know, well let's let's put this right just to finish say you're playing now and 
Barcelona come in or Manchester City come in, would you go? Well, people always say to me about money these days, so what you've never had, you never miss, so uh, I'd stay at Wolves. <laughs> yes, that's the answer that we wanted. Oh, and don't forget our live Old Gold Club show at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre, Friday 7th of June. Jeff's going to come, John Richards will be on stage. Make sure you join us for that. Tickets available at grandtheatre.co.uk. The Old Gold Club with Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. So that was the show, on with the podcast. Um, we're going to get to the rundown in just a minute. As you were talking there, Jeff, and you were talking um, about training as an apprentice and the reserve team with the first team and whatnot. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, myself and Yanni, who does the sound, had the absolute privilege to go and meet Bobby Mason and Alan Jackson, who played during the 50s. And one of the things that really stood out to me from the conversation I had with them was that at that time it was a real thing about the football club that you you were all together, all as one, that there was no kind of this is the first team up here and this is the, the youth team and stuff down there. And I wondered whether like that's kind of gone from the game somewhat, whether you thought that as, as you got towards the end of your career, was that changing? Um. No, I don't think so. Um, I think um, as a football team, I think the first team um, played a certain system. The reserves played the certain system and the youth team as well. So basically, um, the training was geared around a system. Um, so you had to learn that system. So you were all together, basically, so that once you moved up from the apprentices into the reserves. It wasn't as if it, it was a new system that they played in, in, in the reserves. It was like you just slotted in and that's the way you played. And then when you go into the first team, you slotted in and, and they the played the same. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I mean, we were, we were all together. Um, it was, um, I, th- I think you have to be um, because, I mean, I almost end up to, to a manager to think that he can get 11 players um, on a Saturday afternoon from all different parts of the country. Um, in my days, actually, well, Scottish, Irish, different characters, you know, good professionals, not so good professionals, skillful players, to get 11 blokes on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock to go out and perform all together and basically just to win a football match I mean it's mind blowing to be fair yeah. uh, to do that yeah. so as a manager you must have a certain skill and I think Chris has said before man management and I think some managers had different ways of showing them man management you know as I say Mr McGarry he, he ruled by a bit of fear which is what he thought was his best uh, way you know Sammy Chung was totally different I mean we never used to call him boss it was Sammy all the time and then but he'd been a, like the assistant hadn't he of course he had yeah you know so I mean he came after when Mr McGarry got the sack Sammy stepped into his suit shoes so basically it's just the same it was just as if one had moved on and we were still moving together basically yeah. what do you think about that because I think I think you have to have that you change that straight away I think uh, it was Davis at Derby. I think he used to find players when they called him uh, by his name. It was Boss or Gaffer. And within that week, he was fine. And well, you notice this. Jeff refers to every manager as Mr. But it's respecting. That's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely it's either Boss, Gaffer, whatever it is. Yeah. I, still, I still call all my managers Gaffer now. Even on text messages, they sign themselves off yeah. as Gaffer. Yeah. You know, so it's just one of those things that... I think when, when Sammy came, it worked for about a week. Can you imagine Frank Monroe saying... Hello, boss. You're all right, boss. And but but and then after about a week, it was it went back to Sammy. It went back to Sammy, you know. But Sammy had got a he was a fantastic coach, yeah. and that's why I think he had a lot of respect from all the players. And that's why I think because Mr. McGarry got the sack, it wasn't a big step basically because the players knew Sammy as a coach. They knew that his training would still be the same. Um, he was just uh, his man management skills was just totally different. He never used to tear a, a, you know a, his hair off at you or nothing like that. 
he would be more, um, he'd take you to one side and, and tell you things. Whereas McGarry would, he'd rant and rave in front of everybody. You know, it was just, that was just, he went from one extreme to the other, to be fair. See, on that, so <laughs> McGarry gets the sack, Sammy then steps into those shoes. Is, is it the same information that the players are getting? Because, because they, they've got to sing off the same yeah, sheet, yeah. really, haven't they? Yeah. And I think that's a funny one, isn't it? Because yeah. as, a, as an assistant, you've got to support the manager and what his beliefs are and the football that he wants to play. But do you secretly have your own opinion? Oh, I'd do that a little bit different. I'd do that a little bit different. Did you see that he, as he, soon as Sammy got the... He didn't, he didn't change from what we'd been doing with... Obviously, some players left. I mean, Waggy wasn't there, but we, uh, I think John Farley came down and played. And so it was still the same system. It wasn't as if, oh, he was going to change, we're going to play five at the back now and all this. Yeah. It was still 4 4 2, and that's the way we played. And he still wanted, because we had John and then we had big Stevie Kinden up front. Now, Stevie Kinden doesn't want the, feet, the ball to his feet. He wants it in front, you know what I mean? So it was one of these that, you know, if you hit a ball into the channel, Stevie Kinden would be on the end of it. And, and it was something we'd always done, you know, when Mr McGarry was the manager. You know, so it wasn't, there was no big change when yeah. Sammy came. Um, because we'd got that, the style of play. I mean, it's totally different now. I mean, it's more patient now that surely the game of football is we see now. Whereas in, in our day, we were more direct. Um, and to sort of change your system overnight, it would have been fatal for Sammy to do that, I thought. How would you have coped in this modern Wolves team? <sighs> Dear me, do they do some running? <laughs> Dear me, they never stop, do they? And yet, I um, we used to train really hard. I mean, that South Bank, the old South Bank... He'd have us running up and down there, and um, I remember once we um, we used to do pre-season training at Brockton, up and down the hills, and uh, we used to go over in the on the coach, and um, we were all totally different trainers, weren't we? Some were good at it, and yep. some were, you know, they'd be at the back all the time. You know what I mean? And um, Peter With was playing for the Wolves at the time. He was at the Wolves at the time. We'd been over at Brockton, and uh, Mr. McGarry was the manager. And we had the stragglers, and I'm sure Frank and Waggy, God bless their soul, wouldn't mind me saying this, but they used to be at the back and uh, big Phil. And uh, so we'd finished this running and we'd gone back to the coach and McGarry had said to Peter With was first and Barry Powell. And he just said to him, he says, carry on, carry on running, wait for the others. So we all got back on the coach. Now from Brockton, you had to go through Penkridge back up the 449 to Wolverhampton. So we're all on the couch, half asleep, half of us. And we're thinking, where is Peter with? Where's Barry? We'd gone from Brockton. We'd gone to Penkridge. We was halfway up the 449. You know, Spread Eagle. Yeah. With he was at the Spread Eagle with Barry Powell. <laughs> they must have run at least another five mile. And, and that, you know, that's the sort of... And that's just, I mean, I thought we were fit. But to see these lads today... Were they having a beer? <laughs> no. No, they weren't. But to see these lads play today, I mean, they never stop running. I yeah. mean, I see this Johnny Otto and the amount of time he gets in the six-yard box, it's unbelievable. They are incredibly fit. One of the things that I'm always fascinated in when we get guys in is to... If you put yourself into the modern game... How much do you think you'd be worth? I think we settled for Kenny was something like 50 million quid. Because <laughs> right. goal-scoring midfielder yeah. costs an awful lot. How much would you be worth today? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of... Uh, I mean, you, you told us you wouldn't have left. How much did Johnny Otto get? Eight, what was it? Close to 18 million? Something oh, around well, that? Probably say 10. I'll be on the safe side. <laughs> You're not going to put yourself on the no, same No, level? no, no. I'll make their own people, make their own mind up. Um... But no, I mean, it's um, the transfer fee these days are uh, unbelievable, aren't they? You know, I mean, it's... Uh, and it's nice to see that we can attract uh, the players down at the, the football club at the moment. It's, um, and, I, and I also think that it would be fantastic if we could get into Europe because I think it's, it, it's, it's something that... It's an attraction yeah. for other players to think that, you know, Wolves have gone into Europe... And um, 
you know, uh, they're after me, and oh, oh, oh I want to go there. You know, it's it, it's a, it's a bargaining thing, I think. A lot of people have said to me, no, we don't Europe. Mm. We don't want Europe. We haven't got a big enough squad. Well, look what happened to Burnley, you know. They started playing in July and all that. Well, we've got ourselves in that position now where we can grab it. Yeah. We can get seventh, and they're playing good enough. Mm. Um, you've played in Europe. Yeah, yeah. You played in Europe for Wolves, although never got that far, did you? No, we, um, I think in 80 we played PSV Eindhoven, but I think in 74 we had a couple of rounds and I think we got knocked out. You got the second round, Lokomotiv Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. And the following year you ended up drawing Porto in the first round. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you you can play against, I mean, because... it's a learning curve, basically, to, to play against foreign players. Um, how you see them playing, how they perform, and plus you go to different countries. It's um, and, and football's brought this. You know, I mean, you, you know, as, as a can of lad, I never thought I'd be travelling the world with a football club, but I was lucky enough to do it. You know, so uh, was there a part of you when you played in those European games? That you know, this football club is synonymous with effectively helping to start the European yeah, Cup. Yeah. Did you feel that as uh, as the the wolves of your time that when you got back into Europe, that this is where that football club? Should of course, be? you did. Yeah, it's it was history at the club, <clears throat> and you realise that. I mean, I know we we achieved it, and um, although we didn't get too far in them, but it was it was part of a history. Of, I mean, now you can say it's. You know, I've been part of a fantastic history of this football club, you know, and I'm proud, really, I'm proud that uh, I'm part of the the history of the football club, you know, um, and obviously to play in Europe is, is part of that, yeah. especially what they did in the 50s. Well, hopefully those days are going to come again. We're going to get into Looms's rundown, <laughs> find out a little bit about your teammates. Straight into it then. Uh, best player that you played with at Wolves? Best player, Frank Monroe. Straight away. Worst trainer at the club. Worst trainer. That's a hard one, that is. I hope Loft- Lofty was a, a good trainer. He was a good pro, but running wise, Lofty was probably worst runner. That's Phil Parks. Yeah, it? Phil. Yeah, <laughs> but fantastic trainer. Goalkeepers aren't going to run, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I mean, to be fair, I mean, it, as a goalkeeper. I mean, obviously he didn't run a lot, but he was a fantastic trainer. I mean, he worked hard at his game. Um, I remember we was going down West Park on a Thursday afternoon as an apprentice, and all you did was knock balls, crosses. You know, Thursday afternoon he'd be doing that, you know, in his own time. You know, so he was a good trainer, but running, Lofty was a little bit uh, slow. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the biggest mourner? Mona. Daly. Yes. <laughs> Daly's the biggest man. Uh, who was your uh, best friend at Wolves? Stevie. Stevie Daly. Yeah, yeah. I'm well with Steve. The best and worst dressed? Best. God, we were awful in the 70s. I mean, <laughs> flared velvet suits. We all had... Um, worst dressed player. Best has got, like, Derek Dugan, surely. Yeah, Doug was um, yeah, Doug was uh, smart. Worst. Oh, Waggy was a bit uh, ragtag and bobtail. Waggy was a bit <laughs> like that. <laughs> you notice I haven't said myself. <laughs> uh, who was the the funniest player that you played with? Danny Hegan. Danny Hegan was uh, funny. Yeah, he really was. He was always joking, joking. We closely run by Stevie Daly. Yeah. Best manager that you worked for? Um, Mr. Barnwell. He was more, don't get me wrong, uh, Mr. McGarry gave me my chance and I'll ever forever be grateful for him, but I just think Mr. Barnwell was, um, him and Richie Barker were uh, very good. Would the 1980 team have beaten the 1974 team? <sighs> no. 74 team would have won. Okay. Yeah, I would say 74 team would have won. Here's one. What was the best goal you scored or saw scored? All oh, right. 
Yeah, it was uh, November 1973 at White Hart Lane. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on YouTube. I'm going to look it up, go on. And it was, uh, I think it was when um, they had the power cuts in those days, 73. You so, played some games in afternoons, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, this was at White Hart Lane. And... Uh, I think I'd given a penalty away in about the first 15 minutes and I remember Martin Chivers scoring. But then Barry Powell scored and then I hit one. And it was it came off the sweet spot and it went <laughs> off the one post and then off the other. Mr Jennings was grasping at thin air. And we won 3-1. Brilliant, brilliant. What was the, the best game that you were involved in? The best game would be the 74 League Cup final. Brilliant. Yeah. And then, what is your proudest moment at Wolves? Proudest moment? Being selected for the first team for my first game. Amazing. Yeah, that's the proudest moment. Never oh. forget it. Fantastic, thank you. Um, we mentioned this at the end of the, the show, the Facebook and YouTube show. 16 years as a Wolverhampton Wanderers player, having been a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, having been Wolves boy, Cannock boy, it's just sensational, isn't it? For brilliant a life, yeah, there. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's um, something I'll never forget. Best days of my life here. Um, I'm filling up here, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, brilliant times, and even better now watching this lot play. Absolutely fantastic. And the best bit of it is that in the years that followed. <laughs> There will be Wolves fans who got arrested by Jeff Palmer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's been a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been a few. But uh, I, basically, I, I had two careers, but um, there was only one career I ever had, and that was when I was uh, seventeen. Here, that's the only career I. I know I spent 24 years in the police force and I met some nice people in the police force, but uh, I don't think you can ever beat a bunch of footballers out on a Saturday afternoon trying to win a football match. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to The Old Gold Club. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts. 